1: Go episode six hundred sixty of the Al Goldie podcast. It is Wednesday, September twentieth, two thousand twenty-three, and the Cheese Man has survived. Yeah, the Cheese Man. He is a survivor. Don't ever say (laughs) that the Cheese Man is not a survivor. The Commanders on Tuesday worked out five long snappers. Yes, not one or two, five. But the team reportedly is sticking with Cameron Cheeseman as its long snapper, at least for now. Uh, He has had three bad snaps on field goal attempts over two games for the Commanders this regular season. I would think that uh, he is done after one more bad snap in a game, but we shall see. Hey, Cheeseman, the pressure is on, pal. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What was as of early Wednesday morning the number 65 podcast in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. A thank you to you for that. The U.S. football category on Apple Podcasts is like a jungle man, okay? Ultra competitive, lots of big names, lots of big companies. To be top 100 as consistently as this podcast is means a lot. To be something like number 65 this time of year, Football season with the thousands of podcasts out there means a lot. Uh, So thank you very much. Uh, It is on this Wednesday that the Commanders are beginning their practice week for their game against the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1, a game that officially is sold out. The Commanders made that announcement on Tuesday afternoon. So the team is a 2-for-2 in terms of selling out home games this regular season. Business is good for the new ownership the Josh Harris group. Uh, I, on this installment of the podcast, have not one, but two guests for you. Next segment, an in-depth conversation on the Commanders with Commanders insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Uh, We're going to cover a lot of ground, including Ben's grade for quarterback Sam Howell through two games. Uh, What we have seen from assistant head coach slash Offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy through two games in terms of his pass-heavy play calling. Uh, whether with edge defender Montez Sweat playing so well, any realistic chance of the team in this a contract season for Tez, uh, signing Tez to a multi-year contract extension before this offseason is uh, evaporating. Uh, and the recent high praise that head coach Rod Rivera has had for edge defender Chase Young. Lots of good stuff with Ben Standing next segment. And then I'm going to welcome on Bills insider Ryan O'Halloran of the Buffalo News. Uh, Ryan actually used to cover the Redskins for the Washington Times, but Ryan is going to tell us all we need to know about the commander's opponent this Sunday afternoon, including some really good insight on quarterback Josh Allen and on receiver and Maryland product. Stefan Dix. Also on the show, uh, we'll discuss wins for the American League-leading Orioles and Nationals on Tuesday night. Uh, The O's hit four home runs in a 9-5 win at the American League West-leading Houston Astros. The Nats got a very nice outing. From Jackson Rutledge in his second major league regular season start, two runs in six into third innings at a 4-3 win over the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at Yahoo.com. Tweet from Jeff on something from the Commander's 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos this past Sunday. The strategy. The strategery. Strategery. <laughs> yes, the strategery. Rights, Jeff. We hiked the ball on third and 11 with about 140 left in the fourth quarter with five seconds left on the play clock. We could have removed another four seconds from the game clock before hiking. The Hail Mary play started with three seconds left on the game clock. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Jeff. Excellent point. Uh, I went back and watched that play, and Jeff's exactly right. Third and 11 for the Commanders at their 42. The ball was snapped with five seconds left on the play clock. Uh, The play resulted in a two-yard shotgun handoff run by running back Brian Robinson Jr., and then the Commanders called a timeout with 56 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, This to avoid a five-yard delay of game penalty prior to the Tressway punt, although you could argue that taking the penalty would have been worth it uh, for more bleeding of the clock. The punt came on a fourth and nine for the Commanders at their 44. Would a fourth and 14 for the Commanders at their 39 have been that much worse in terms of the punt, especially for Tress, right, who's one of the best punters in the NFL? But yes, the Miracle 50-yard shotgun touchdown pass by quarterback Russell Wilson to receiver Brandon Johnson on the Hail Mary throw, came on a first and 10 for the Broncos at the 50 with three seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Sam Howell on that snap, That resulted in the two-yard shotgun handoff run by Brian Robinson. Should have let the clock tick down further uh, than there being five seconds left on the play clock. Now, I know, easy to say now, but uh, something to learn from. Uh, Email from Jack L. On the play that changed the game for the Commanders in their win at the Broncos, writes Jack, to me, the play that really changed the game was the Logan Thomas touchdown catch. And not just because he scored, because of the horrible cheap shot. When that happened, the camera focused on Ron Rivera and he looked very angry, as angry as he could get, especially maybe thinking of the cheap shot on Sam Howell in the win over the Arizona Cardinals. Ron looked fed up after that play. I think that the whole team shared that anger and that was used as a focal point of halftime and the Durskins (laughs) were going to be focused and for the rest of the game, take out that anger on the Broncos. Al, thank you for the great podcast. I have yet to miss any, and thank you for making sports easier to follow. Well, thank you for that, Jack. Yes, this is the show that follows Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. Following sports is work. Let us do the work for you. Uh, That cheap shot on tight end Logan Thomas on his touchdown catch was ridiculous. A nasty helmet-to-helmet hit from safety Kareem Jackson, who was ejected from the game, but he apparently is not being suspended, even though... He also was guilty of an illegal hit in the Broncos' 17-16 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 1. Uh, email from Yano about this podcast, specifically <laughs> equating the episode numbers with career regular season home run totals. Right, Yano, with Wednesday's show, Episode 660, you match the great Willie Mays, and soon the Al Galdi podcast will soar past the 700 mark and match... The greats Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron, and then in the new year, you'll pass Barry Bonds. But your episodes will not be tainted by steroid scandal or cream and clear. No, no, Goldie, your podcasts are pure and unadulterated knowledge fest. So here's to 660 and 714 and beyond. Keep up the great work. Can't believe your commanders are actually two and do, but I guess this Sam Howell guy can actually play. We'll see how you fare in two weeks versus my birds. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for the email, Yano. Yeah, big game for the Manders at the Philadelphia Eagles on October 1st at 1 p.m. But, you know, Yano, we're taking this season one game at a time, okay? The focus right now is on Manders bills at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. And yes, this podcast is not tainted by any sort of performance-enhancing drug scandal. You can't prove anything, okay? There is no evidence of any scandal. However, there is evidence... Of the greatness of the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Know that Paulson and Nace is always there for you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices, and false advertising. Heck, victims... Of shady lawyers, if your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region, and Paulson and Nace has won millions of dollars for clients. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong, but aren't sure, call Paulson and Ace and schedule a no obligation appointment. Call 202 902 7611. That's 202 902 7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent ya. You can also visit com. That's Paulsonandace.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulsonandace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. Well, thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So, Thank you very much for doing them. You know, I was just thinking some more about the email from our guy, Jack, from last segment. You know what's funny about this Commander's 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos this past Sunday? What was the exact turning point is debatable. Like, if I say to you, name the turning point, pinpoint the turning point, what exactly was that? Uh, Tight end Logan Thomas, the late second quarter, for the goal, four-yard Touchdown reception on which we had the helmet-to-helmet hit from safety Kareem Jackson, resulting in his ejection. Uh, And we had the one-yard penalty that compelled the Commanders to go for two. And they got the two via a one-yard run by running back Brian Robinson Jr., cutting the deficit from 21-3 to 21-11. This whole scenario has been called the turning point. But think about linebacker Jamin Davis, his second quarter sack strip of Russell Wilson resulting in the lost fumble that was recovered by linebacker Cody Barton. That takeaway set up the drive that resulted in a Logan Thomas touchdown reception. That takeaway has been called the turning point. Maybe there were two turning points, a turning point A and a turning point B. Hey, would you overcome a 21-3 second quarter deficit for a big road win? Maybe two turning points are necessary. You know, something else from the win at the Broncos, the commanders in the game had nine players each with at least two receptions. That is the highest number of players each with at least two receptions in a regular season game in franchise history. Now, personally, I think the notion of spreading the ball around is overrated. You always hear that when people talk football, like, ooh, they spread the ball around. That's such a good thing. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but the goal is to move the ball. Whether you do that throwing to one guy or nine guys doesn't matter, but that is wild, right? Nine players, each with at least two receptions. Highest number of players, each with at least two receptions in a regular season game in franchise history. The 2-0 and Commanders host... The 1-1 one and one Buffalo Bills this Sunday afternoon at 1. Time now for a conversation with Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic. Uh, ben and I, this Commander's season, have an arrangement at Alliance <laughs> by which we are appearing on each other's podcast. So one week he's on my podcast, the next week I'm on his podcast. Ben does an awesome job covering the Commander's. He's the host of the Standing Room Only podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Standig. So, Ben, you were in Denver for the Commander's win at the Broncos on Sunday. Did you at any point over the weekend hang out with maybe the number one person in sports right now, Colorado head coach and don't forget, former Redskins corner, (laughs) Deion Sanders? Did you and Prime hang or were you and Prime not able to make things work?
2: Uh I could not unfortunately work it out with my schedule. You know, he you know, he, he offered a few opportunities, but I just couldn't uh make it work. I look I, you know, it's a rare moment in time where unless it's especially when it's not your hometown situation, where you are at the epicenter of the sports world, uh, randomly the way that we were because of the fact that you know Colorado was playing on Saturday night the commanders are in you know 28 miles away I looked it up on uh, Google Maps um and so I really wanted to go to the game I probably could have asked for a credential but I wasn't gonna write I don't want to really do that you know I'm sure it was packed in there anyway so but I did drive when I landed in Denver on Saturday I I drove straight to Boulder I did want to see the scene um Everyone's walking around wearing black. I mean, this was like five hours before the game, so you know, wasn't like complete frenzy mode. But like, you know, the, the fraternities were, were doing beer pong, and uh, you know, had uh, random signs out front. And you know, you go in the bookstore, and every—I mean, I don't know what a bookstore is like normally on a Saturday in Colorado, the, the school bookstore. But this one was packed. All kind, of, everyone's just gobbling up Colorado gear. There's not, there's even like the not just the standard with the logo. There's a section that was like basically the prime uh the prime section and it's like hit dion's some of dion's quotes you know on shirts and, and and sweatshirts and things like that so uh it was fun to be in that type of atmosphere even tangentially but then i watched the game as i assume you did and i was like man if i don't i you know i didn't want to spend 400 bucks on a ticket but you're like well i could have said it was one of the craziest games i've ever seen that was that game was insane and as i wrote in my story Who would have thought that less than 24 hours later, there would be a game, maybe not as nuts, but it was way closer than you would have thought.
1: For sure. And what's also funny is that it was during the CBS telecast of Commanders Broncos that we saw a bunch of promos for Deion Sanders being featured on 60 Minutes on Sunday evening. So we had all kinds of things happening. Uh, All right. The Commanders in this win at the Broncos did something that Washington had not done since Thanksgiving 2020, score at least 35 points in a regular season game. The team has not had a good offense in each of the previous five seasons, 2018 through 2022. I think that a big part of the excitement from this win at the Broncos is that Washington maybe possibly has itself a good offense again. What do you think? How telling was that 35-point performance regarding what the 2023 commanders will prove to be offensively?
2: Yeah, you know, look, I think in general, this is not just about the commanders, this is about the league. Every year, the first you know, that we kind of say don't judge almost anything at least for the first month because we're everybody's still trying to sort out what they are, right? Like as we see around the league, are the Bengals really an 0 and 2 team? Is Atlanta really a 2 and 0 team? Is Washington really a 2 and 0 team? It's hard to say. And that, you know, that first game against Arizona, the arguably the worst team in the league. It's like, "All right, I don't know what to make of this. A little skeptical, but okay." I think denver's a solid team but they've got their own issues and i think we still need to sift through what what they are um over over time you know we remember last year right well, what do whatever i think the first two games of the year jacksonville detroit oh this should be pretty easy well then we find out jacksonville makes the playoff and detroit is like one of the hot teams in the league um all that said i mean i think it means something they, they you know the, the, the first four possessions they only got three points with a missed field goal and the and on possessions three and four, they combined for zero yards. And then after the Jamin Davis turnover that gives them the ball midfield, they score then and proceeded to score on five of their next six possessions with the only exception, the uh, what I would say was the odd choice of going for the 59-yard field goal. But, okay, still they were in position to at least attempt to get more points. So, I mean, I think that says uh, a, a lot. The momentum really sh- swung after that Jamin Davis play and the offense was able to capitalize. So I think it counts for something, especially when you consider the way they were getting the points, the screen passes um, you know, to Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson Robinson on the ground. It wasn't a dominant passing day, but Sam Howe was effective. Those touchdown throws to Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin, you could not have been more precise and it needed to be based on what, what he was looking at. Um, so I think it says a lot, but again, I, I somewhat am cautious because I don't know is Denver gonna just fall apart this year? Is you know what a, will, you know Arizona almost beat the Giants? You know? I, I think these next two games though will probably give us a big a better feel considering the opponents. But yeah, I, I was I, I think you can be pretty feel pretty good about where the
1: offense looks after that performance. I am a big fan of what Eric bien over his first two regular season games as commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator has done in terms of play selection. You look at first half offensive plays, he has had a combined 62 passing plays versus just 16 rushing plays. This is not along the lines of what we saw from Washington over its first 3 seasons with Ron Rivera as head coach. Are you at all surprised by the aggressive modern way with which Eric Bieniemy is calling plays? Well,
2: you know, if we go if we if we go back to earlier this year and there was the whole they want to run the ball, uh, you know, <laughs> have a 2 to 1 ratio, which obviously was not a real thing, but the idea of wanting to run the ball, that seemed to be um, you know, more of a theme, even if the you know it's, it's not that extreme. So to that extent, knowing we've all we've had that in the back of our head this whole time, I guess there's maybe a little bit of that. But this is the weird thing, right? You have Terry McLaurin, John Dodson, Curtis Samuel. Just go with with that. Like that, Not only are those talented players, you've invested a lot in them, right? In terms of draft capital, in terms of money. So you do want to use those guys. So inexperienced, you may think, well, let's not put too much on him initially. Maybe they're thinking that the defenses are going to think that as well and not, you know, and, 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 and sort of load up against the run thinking, well, they're not going to want to lean on this kid right off the bat, right? But, you know, we, as we've seen all summer, Sam Howe's a pretty confident kid. He's pretty poised. He doesn't get rattled, seemingly. I mean, we still haven't seen it yet. So I guess I'm a little surprised. But, again, you know, they need to – use those other weapons as well. So, you know, I don't know if it's more strategy, uh, I almost said more strategy, more strategy than anything else. But um, yeah, I guess I'm a little surprised to the degree that they did it. But, you know, they have, as we saw in this game, they then turned to the ground and and the screen passes to really, you know, kind of close things out.
1: And with the screen passes, the commanders during off-season and training camp practices worked a lot on the screen game. Uh, That has been an emphasis, is that correct?
2: So, I didn't like chart it. Like you know, how many times they ran screen plays practice. I wrote about it back in like the OTA mini camp part because you could see it happening there in in a very pronounced way. I didn't feel like it was as much in play as they went through camp and the preseason. Which isn't to say it wasn't there. Just to say, you know, they've got to work on so many different things. But clearly, they kept that in their in their the back of their head or in the front of their mind, he just didn't tell us or whatever it was because it just made too much sense. I mean, especially with Gibson, knowing, you know, what he can do. And I, I know that even he feels like he was just not always used the proper way for his skill set previously. Um, but now we've seen a couple weeks in a row, right, where he's gotten those screens and is able to, you know, make some, make some good plays. And Robinson, they just didn't use him a ton in the passing game last year. But, you know, he's, to me, showed he could – he could do it, and then we've seen that be pretty effective so far um, here. So, yeah, it definitely figured to be something that's going to be more in their arsenal. I, I think we talked about this last week on, on when you came to my podcast, and I think I said this. Um, I was wondering to what degree did Eric Bianami hold back his game plan against the Cardinals? I, 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 I mentioned this theory to somebody not in the organization, and they were like, well, that's pretty insane. If he did that, they only won that game by a few points and yada, yada, yada. But it did feel like this, I mean, this game, the screen pass was way more involved, than I thought, than the Arizona game. And it kind of makes sense that, to do it that way. So, yeah, it's definitely a part of what they want to do. And, uh, you know, we saw it be really effective in this game.
1: Yes, we did. Uh, running backs Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson in the win at the Broncos combined for five receptions for 86 yards on six targets. Uh, much more with Ben Standig in moments. I'm going to next ask him to grade quarterback Sam Howell. Well, the grade for Catering by Uptown is a sparkling A+. If you have a big event that you're planning, go with Catering by Uptown. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Also know this, Catering by Uptown has job openings, For the event wait staff, uh, no experience is necessary, and you get paid in-house training. This is a great opportunity if you're looking for work. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Goldie sent you. More now with Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic. So if you had to give a grade for Sam Howell for what he has done over two games in this regular season— uh, what would the grade from Professor Standig be?
2: I mean, at least a B, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I can't go A just because whatever. But, like, you know, I mean, he's been pretty effective. You know, the, 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 the pass to Terry McLaurin, you know, there's basically, like, three defenders around the ball. If you see the, you know, if you can see the replay, especially, like, from, from behind how there is no room to throw that pass. The thing is, like back in the summer, he was trying to make those throws and they didn't always work out well. Now, maybe it's in part because the defense in those practices kind of knows what's coming and, you know, they're, they're not getting fooled by the run game and, and, and things like that. Um, but he was trying to make those throws a lot this summer and it didn't always work out. It worked out very nicely on that one. The, the, the pass against Logan Thomas was was pretty good. You know, we still saw some of the... The, the, the pressure, the pass rush pressure early on in this game, you know, he still hold on to the ball a bit too much. But all in all, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how you can't be pretty impressed with what we've seen so far. Um, you know, for me, Hal and Biennium, it was sort of the same story. I can't make a definitive declaration before the season starts because it's too many unknowns about how they're going to show. So it's too early to say he's a, you know, this is the guy. But two games in, I don't know how you can't be pretty impressed with what we've seen out of uh, a guy with that little experience.
1: With the sacks, uh, Sam Howell through two weeks of the 2023 regular season has the third worst sack percentage among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL. Him taking sacks was a problem in college. Do you view Sam's issue of taking sacks as being fixable this season, or is the fix more of a long-term thing? Um,
2: it's a great question. I, you know, I, I've I've talked about the idea of instincts over the years. Um, I used to talk about it a lot when I was covering the NBA, and um, I always go to a guy. I always went to the guy Kelly Oubre, who was oddly enough in the news signed with Josh Harris's NBA team um, this week or over the weekend. But um, you know, he was a guy that like has all the physical tools, but seemingly had no idea how to play basketball. Like he just had no feel for the game, when to pass, when to drive, all these things. And I always used to ask, "Can you learn instincts? Like, how do some people just know how to play, and others?" It, that, you know no and, and there was no definitive answer but i still kind of believe instincts you're kind of you have them or you don't you get repetition helps experience but you know sort of so in this case with Hal, I, I it is a wonder and i think it's partly a wonder because of who the guy was the quarterback last year in carson wentz and carson wentz has obviously been in the league longer than sam how he's had greater success at this point than Hal, who obviously just hasn't even played yet um but his prime, one of his primary failures that led to him right now not being on the team, is the inability to understand sometimes throwing the ball away is a good thing. You can't just stand in the pocket looking for something downfield because you've got a big arm and you're confident you can make a throw. Sometimes you have to, you know, move on and just say, okay, this didn't work, throw it away, or take the short pass. And he's never learned. So I think the answer is yes, but that you can you can learn that, but. We'll see. I think for some guys, the instinct is just is something that's hard to shake. And like I said, that pass to McLaurin probably shouldn't have thrown it, I would guess, but it worked. So the question is, does he ever get rid of that sort of, I'm just going to go for it at all times, and therefore gonna take some of those sacks maybe it's worth the trade-off eventually i don't know so i don't think i answered your question but i i just it's a wonder to me as to whether that you know for some guys maybe that instinct just takes longer to kick in for others i don't know if it ever does
1: We all had questions about the commander's offensive line off how bad it was last season and off what was done with the line this past offseason. The line so far has been mixed, but there has been at least a decent amount of good, more than people may realize. Is it too early to say that the line may not be so bad?
2: Yeah, I think we need to see more, right? I mean, Arizona was pretty effective for a defense that like, almost half of their sacks from the previous year were gone because J.J. Watt retired and, you know, as we know, Arizona's not exactly trying this year from a personnel perspective and they were pretty effective. In this week, Denver, in week one, was one of the uh, least effective pass rushing teams out there. Um, they had their moments particularly early though in this game. Again, Washington in the first four possessions didn't do a ton and Denver was getting to, to how, but when the momentum swung, Suddenly it became you know the, the, the commanders were be able to doing more, and I think this is where the screen game helps as well, right um, you know, get a you know, design play to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker than him sitting back there so i don't know like i've liked in general what i've seen from Sam Cosme i haven't had the chance to watch all the uh, all 22 yet, but you know in general, I've liked Cosme. I think Nick Gates has been a really fun addition from a, from an energy standpoint, and he's held his own. I think Sadiq Charles had a bet, had a better game looked like to me this game he was that that initial screen to Brian Robinson he's the one that got out there and took out the Denver um defender that was in the way um you know Leno and Wiley I feel like that's more of my bigger question right now from a consistency standpoint but um you know I, I like with I like with everything else I guess I'm going to keep cop out and say give me the first month to see you know again the next two games Buffalo Philadelphia those are going to be much better tests for this defensive line especially in the in pass uh with pass blocking. So, we'll see, but you know, they've held up. They're not getting completely steamrolled the way probably the narrative started to feel
1: like at some points this summer. The Commanders defense, edge defender Montez Sweat has been so good so far. Uh he for the 2023 regular season through week 2 is tied for first in the NFL in force fumbles with 2 is tied for second in the NFL in sacks with three, is tied for fourth in the NFL in tackles for loss with three, is tied for fifth in the NFL in quarterback hits with four. Is any realistic chance of the commander signing him to a multi-year contract extension prior to either tagging him or allowing him to enter unrestricted free agency in the 2024 offseason uh, evaporating before our eyes?
2: Well, certainly, the longer the season goes, the less incentive there is for the player to get anything done. I mean, um, I want to say 22, 23 million is sort of the the line right now in terms of like the I don't say the lower end, but in terms of like the star defensive ends and linemen, you know, that's kind of where. 21, 22, somewhere in that range is kind of where things are right now. So if they went to him and said, "Look, we'll give you a four-year deal, average 21, 22, something in that range," you know, they're happy with the guaranteed money and things like that. You know, maybe that's enough to say, "Let's, let's, let's," from the sweat standpoint, say, "Let's mitigate the risk. Let's get that now." But then you get to a certain point if he keeps getting one and a half sacks a game, or you know he, he's clearly on his way to getting his first double-digit sack season. Then, then at some point, it's like, all right, well, now we're looking more in the $25 million range and so on. And I think um, you know, that, that, that's, the, that, that's the risk. We still don't know for sure where the ownership group is with, with when it comes to wanting to make these deals. Again, signing Montez Sweat won't, completely take, won't, won't take away all their cap space. They have the third most projected cap space for next year because a lot of guys are free agents. Maybe ownership says, hey, we'd like to just go into the offseason with all this opportunity and then see what we have, um, especially since, who knows, we still don't know they got to keep Ron Rivera in the front office and maybe they want the next person to make some decisions if that's what they're thinking. But all that said, I you know, to me, boy, I, I'd be looking long and hard about locking Montez Sweat up right now. I guess one counter would be, hey, Chase Young. Had a pretty nice performance bounce back. They're still the can we keep one? Can we keep both? You know, does that change anything? They're like, oh, well, the whole point of not signing either of them, is, or you know, not extending not not picking, signing, extending Sweat or not picking up Chases fifth year is we have two options. Let's let it play out and see what happens. Maybe they just decide to do that, but I, I do think if we get past like the first. Five six weeks of the season, and Sweat hasn't signed. I'm not sure there's too much incentive at that point for him to uh, to do it.
1: Regarding the Commanders' other big name edge defender, Chase Young, and I talked about this on Tuesday's show, episode 659. The way that Ron Rivera is talking about Chase these days really is standing out. Constant praise of Chase's work ethic and focus. Big time difference from how Ron was talking about Chase in 2021. What do you make of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, we've heard over the course of the summer more positive talk about not only like how he looked physically coming off the knee injury, and clearly last year he wasn't didn't wasn't feeling completely right, but his process going into the season. We heard Montez Sweat back in OTAs or training camp talk about there was, a, I don't know if he used the word maturity, but he talked about seeing Chase, you know, having some better habits and that type of thing with with getting ready for the year, and, you know, when 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 Chase Young has been out of the lineup, um, you know throughout the latter stages of camp and then misses the first game, Ron has always gone out to say, "Hey, regardless of what's going on right now, this is not about him being unprepared or you know or him shirking his duties. He has been there. He is ready. He is. He can't wait to get out there and he's done what he needs to do to put himself in that position. Can't always help the injuries, of course. Um, so to that end, I mean, it may just be as simple as Chase Young." Found uh, some religion to some degree with regards to you know being being prepped for the season and stuff like that. So and look, obviously there's a huge incentive, right? Even if he even if they had picked up the fifth year, you know you still want to get the next deal and you got to start showing more than you have. I, I think the bus talk is is you know uh, hyperbolic, but it's not like without some merit based on just the fact he hasn't played. I mean injuries, I can't blame him, but you know. Th- there was that was nine games before the injury we only had one and a half sacks and Rivera saying the things like you mentioned so yeah I, I think there's some recognition that hey he has shown growth from a um preparedness standpoint and uh you know I think that's a great sign on top of the fact that he was pretty active um I you know in the game as a pass rusher and and you know that 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 bodes well.
1: You mentioned the commanders this past offseason not exercising the fifth-year option in Chase Young's rookie contract. It is in the 2024 offseason that the team will have to decide on the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of linebacker Jamin Davis, who in each of the Commanders' first two games of this regular season has played significantly less than linebacker Cody Barton has played. Uh, Jamin has played on 63.3% of the commander's defensive snaps. Cody has played on 100% of the commander's defensive snaps, why is that? Yeah, so this is a
2: case where the green dot comes into play. You know, the defensive player who has who who's who's they call the play into, and then he's got to relay it to everyone else. Cole Holcomb had that primarily um, previously, and now Barton is the one that has that. So you kind of need that guy to be on the field, right, in order to to to, to get the play call. Um, which brings up the question, well, why is Cody Barton it gives their world where it couldn't be Cody Barton? And I asked Del Rio this last week for this exact reason. I mean, Cody Barton, um, I uh, I don't know what PFF had him at this game, but in the two preseason games he played in week one, I think he was their lowest rated defender in each game. And, you know, Del Rio basically, you know, gave them, well, you know, Cody's, he, you could tell he wasn't completely thrilled with Barton's uh, week one performance when we spoke to him he was kind of like "Eh, it was all right um which which in coach's terms is kind of like oh boy that wasn't great um so i think there's a world where it's possible that they do switch it whether it's a Jamin, maybe it's a cam curl uh something like that but um yeah i think that's the issue right he's got the green dot he needs to be on the field for those purposes plus as we know they're only using you know their base is five defensive backs and when they're taking Jamin out they didn't go to another linebacker the, the, the Hudson, I don't think it's taken a defensive snap in two weeks. So they're just going with either the five defensive linemen or six defensive backs. So it's just literally, I think a matter of who's has got that
1: green dot. And right now, Barton's the one that has it. Why does Jamin Davis not have the green dot?
3: Um,
1: you know, I, I think, you know, he was still learning the
2: game his first two years. Um, you know, look, they, you know, when they drafted him, I think they wanted him to be the guy in the middle kind of right. The, 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 but ultimately they decided to take his athleticism put him on the outside and you know just let him play and maybe not have to worry about these as these other details now whether they feel comfortable enough saying hey you, we think you've got a good enough feel for the game now that you can do that maybe he will um but for now you know that's just not how they have those two positions and i guess in theory you want to have the guy with the dot sort of more in the middle of the defense for just the obvious closer to everybody kind of deal. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a question they're going to have to answer if you know, they're not happy with Barton's play again. I w- we'll talk to Del Rio later this week um, and get, uh, maybe get a feel there. But yeah, I think, I
1: think it's, this
2: kind of comes down to that at this
1: point. As you probably remember, it was in September 2021 that Ron Rivera, leading up to a Washington game against the Buffalo Bills, called the game a measuring stick game. And uh, <laughs> the measurement did not go well. Uh, Washington suffered a 43-21 loss at the Bills. Here we are two years later, September 2023. A lot has changed for Washington. Uh, I don't know that Ron will be calling Commander's Bills at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon a measuring stick game, but how realistic is Washington getting to 3-0 and in a regular season for the first time since 2005? Yeah, I mean,
2: I I saw Buffalo obviously had a big bounce back performance. I didn't just saw I was watching sort of red zone ahead of the Denver game, so I didn't see it like too thoroughly. But obviously, you know, they played a lot better, and you know, they're still expected to be one of the top contenders for the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's funny the measuring stick. I that, I, I wasn't exactly buying that team. The you know whatever was happening. This one does feel more of like a measuring stick, though, because like I said before. We're all going to dismiss the Arizona win at least until Arizona shows that they're a real team. And again, they almost beat the Giants this week, but still, still questions there. And Denver, you know, like like half most of the league, they're just somewhere in the middle. What and you know they're now zero to two both losses at home. That's not good. This game again, Buffalo is a is a real team. They're a real contender. So if they show, if they take Buffalo down to the wire, maybe they don't win, but if, they, if they're really hanging tough with them, they're, you know, containing Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, you know, the, the the offensive line is holding up against a pretty good pass rush, then maybe we can say, hey, there's something real here. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, if Buffalo comes in and just sort of takes care of business, then, okay, well, there's still work to do. And, you know, again, it's the first month of the year is so tricky. Uh, and that's why you, you know, probably shouldn't make too many calls one way or the other. But, yeah, I do feel like this is a, a little more of a measuring game this week and then the, the, the following week at Philadelphia because those teams are legit Super Bowl contenders and we're t- still trying to figure out where does Washington fit in this whole start. 2-0 is a good start, though, and, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to see. You know, you're not, we're not uh, we're not going into this game like,
1: Oh, boy. Uh, you know, how bad's it going to be? No, no. It's like, OK, well, let's see what happens. The measuring stick is being brought back out. Uh, hopefully this measurement goes better <laughs> than that measurement of two years ago. Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic. Ben, thank you very much. And I'll talk to you on your podcast next week. Al,
2: always a pleasure. Look forward to chatting with you again next week.
1: All right. Well, we shall see how the commanders measure up Against the bills this Sunday afternoon, but if you live in Northern Virginia and you need fireplace, stove, or chimney work done, no outlet measures up to Nova Fireplace and Stove. Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. It handles gas fireplace sales, service, and installation, handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm. And upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by massive Commanders fans, and it has outstanding professionals. Whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master gas fitter, master electrician, Class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector, and because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need to for any subcontractors, and Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It has a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, novafireplaceandstove.com. And take advantage of the special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571 571- Five one three three eight zero three. 513 3803 That's 571-513-3803. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, has there been an NFL team over the first two weeks of the 2023 regular season with two more opposite results than what this Sunday afternoon's Commanders opponent, the Buffalo Bills, have had? The 2-0 Commanders versus the 1-1 one and one Bills at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. Week 1, the Bills lost At the New York Jets, 22-16 in overtime on Monday Night Football in the game in which Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers suffered a torn left Achilles tendon on the Jets' fourth offensive snap. But week two, the Bills blew out the Las Vegas Raiders 38-10. For more on the Bills, for some proper opposition research, I am very pleased to welcome to the Al Goldie podcast, Bills insider Ryan O'Halloran of the Buffalo News, a man who used to cover the Redskins for the Washington Times. Uh, He also has covered the Denver Broncos for the Denver Post and has covered the Jacksonville Jaguars for the Florida Times Union. Uh, He knows the NFL well. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan O'Halloran, and O'Halloran is spelled O-H-A-L-L-O-R-A-N. Ryan, good to talk to you. How are you? Oh, good. Oh, good, Al. Good to join you again in
3: uh, uh, 2004 to 2011 on the Redskins beat. Uh, Those are a long time ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a lot has changed for our football team here. I'm curious, having covered four NFL teams, how do you look back on your time covering the Skins?
3: Well, um, never boring, but I think the first four years of Joe Gibbs, it it, it was, I mean, by all accounts, it was a stable franchise. They were up and down. They made two playoff appearances. Their last playoff win is still the Tampa Bay game when I was on my second year on the beat in uh, January 2006. So, um, you know, the Zorn years and Shanahan years covered Mike's first two years, but things really uh, became more chaotic in the last five, six years. And I don't think you can compare the shift with this new ownership group to anything that's happened recently in American sports, just sort of changing the tone of the entire organization.
1: Absolutely. There has been like nonstop rejoicing from Commanders fans since the Josh Harris group bought the team. So the Bills, uh, what do you make of them over their first two games of this regular season? Well,
3: as discouraging as week one was, and you, you know, they've lost to Zach Wilson twice on Two years. That, that's, <laughs> that shouldn't happen. As discouraging as that was, you give the, you give the Bills credit. They were pumping on all their Sunday against the Raiders. Josh Allen, thirty-one to thirty-seven, three touchdowns, no turnovers, compared to four turnovers against the Jets in Week One. They, they limited Josh Jacobs to negative yards rushing, uh, which you know in this week you can fall forward and average a yard per carry. So, you know, I think. Uh, is Josh Allen going to go 31 to 37 every week? No, but I, I do think it was, it was a, a rebound that was needed. Now they can almost start their season, so to speak.
1: Does Bills quarterback Josh Allen have a turnover problem, or was week one an aberration?
3: Uh, it, uh, it comes and goes. I mean, it, 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 it crops up less than, than usual. Uh, you know, he'll have a train wreck game every now and then uh, where he fumbles or he throws interceptions. But he also has uh, what, 36 touchdowns and 14 interceptions last year. So he, he makes a ton more plays, than he a ton more positive plays than negative plays. And the thing about Allen that is surprising when you look at it is he is a daring scrambler. He is a daring player on quarterback keepers. That's not when he turns it over. And that's usually what you would think would happen. But uh, you know his mistakes have been uh, interceptions and also being sacked and fumbled. But you know I think what Sunday showed against Las Vegas is if this team doesn't turn it over, they are just really tough to stop.
1: The Josh Allen story is so interesting. The Bills traded up to take him with the number seven overall pick in the twenty eighteen NFL Draft. His first two NFL seasons were so-so at best, but he, since the start of the 2020 season, has erupted into being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. How has he done what he has done?
3: Yeah, I mean, he's... He, uh, I'll say this without the research out in front of I me. Mean, guys don't... The guys don't improve their completion percentage from college in NFL. He's done that. And, and that, that's a testament to... He, has, he makes some throws in practice and in games where you just are like, holy cow. I mean, coaches and players say the same thing. They use a different word. Uh, Brian Dayball, now the Giants head coach, was instrumental in developing Josh Allen. He was the offensive coordinator here for the first uh, four years. Ken Dorsey then joined as quarterback coach uh, during year two. So I think the combination of coaching, want to, patience, natural talent, weapons around him have all gone. All throw it all in a pot, and this is what you get with Josh Allen, who is obviously one of the top quarterbacks in pro football.
1: You mentioned New York Giants head coach Brian Dable. Do the Bills miss Dable?
3: I mean, that's, uh, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a theme that came up uh, last week. Um, you know, Brian is a in-your-face guy. Um, we don't know how hard, we don't know what the tone is, the coaching is. Um, behind behind the scenes with the Bills now, but you see Brian Dayball on the sidelines with the Giants. He's fiery. He holds no quarter. Um, but, and everybody says, well, Josh, Allen this is Brian Dayball? Well, that's probably true, because Brian got a head coaching job. The Bills weren't going to work. You can't keep a guy when he has a chance to be the head coach. So, you know, I think his numbers, uh, Allen's numbers were steady from the last year of Dayball to the first year of Dorsey. So I do think that and as, as, as you become more of a veteran, you can sort of figure out your own
1: stuff a little bit. We are getting an in-depth look at the commander's opponent this Sunday afternoon, the Buffalo Bills, with Bills insider Ryan O'Halloran of the Buffalo News. The Bills are a Super Bowl contender. What are the concerns? What are the potential fatal flaws for this team?
3: Well, I, I think with... Uh, I think every team in this league has offensive line depth issues there's just not enough of these tackles are being developed you know Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins right and left tackle respectively uh, if they get hurt I think they're in real trouble because just not a lot of able replacements and I think getting Von Miller back he's out uh, at least two more games with his ACL from last Thanksgiving If you know if he comes back and it, it takes a while to get back. That pass rush may struggle a little bit, but uh, I'll throw in corner as well. Uh, there's a, it, not a lot of playmakers there right now. But so those are just uh, three concerns.
1: I want to ask you about Bill's receiver, Stefan Diggs. Uh, He of course is a local. He went to Our Lady of Good Counsel High School in Olney, Maryland, Uh, then went to the University of Maryland. Uh, He's a very good receiver, but there also has been so much out there about him as a teammate and as a person and being difficult at times. It's hard to know what to believe. What is the truth about Stefan Diggs?
3: Well, the cop out answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I'll start with the positive stuff that you hear about Stefan Diggs is he is he is he's a captain. And if players didn't like him in the locker room, they would not have chosen him as a captain. You know, you talk to younger receivers that he mentors them in the meeting room on the practice field. It looks like him and Josh Allen are in a good spot and they need to be in a good spot because if you're Stefan Diggs, who else is gonna take on your money? Provide the Bills with an offer to trade you, and you get to play with a quarterback like Josh Allen. I don't see a lot of those situations that are better for him in this league. So, you know, I think it's it's the who of him to make it work. Now, let's go to the flip side. He wasn't happy in Minnesota. They traded him. Um, he gave all these subtle clues and hints that he wasn't happy in Buffalo. Stop. Well, he's here, and I think he has. I think he's has sort of come to the realization that. He wants to win a Super Bowl. This is his best opportunity to do it here in Buffalo.
1: Beyond Stephon Diggs, who do you view as the best offensive weapons on the Bills? Well,
3: they got some variety, and I gave Davis their number two receiver. Him, him, him emerging last week uh, was a positive sign for the Bills because he's going to get matchups. He's going to get one on ones if teams are, are you know, uh, putting their best corner on Diggs, no matter where he's out on the field. Over the top safety help on digs that frees up other guys. Dalton Kincaid, the first round rookie tight end from Utah, is off to a good start, knows how to whip the middle of the field. Dawson Knox, tight end, good red zone player. And I think uh, lastly, just to close out the skill position depth chart really encouraged by the run game against the Raiders over 180 yards rushing they got three guys they got James Cook, Latavius Murray and Damian Harris they signed Harris and they signed Murray during the offseason because they knew that Josh Allen cannot be their number two running back he's only run maybe one or two keepers not including quarterback sneaks here in this, these first two games that's a positive development
1: you earlier in our conversation hit on the Bills defense a bit but what's your outlook for how good this Bills defense will be this season?
3: I mean, they've been top ten in the last couple of years, and I think if you get Miller back healthy, that is definitely uh, possible. You know, they're, 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 some of their numbers aren't going to look great because, like last year, they just they were in the they were they had the lead in so many games, is that their rushing stats were great, but they gave up some big runs. Both well, teams had to throw, so your passing stats were skewed a little bit. You know what they have to do better. This year that that they didn't do last year, they got to take the ball away more in secondary. This team was even in turnover ratio last year, still went thirteen and three. Um, Safeties led them in interceptions, so you got to get some more takeaways from the corner spot.
1: This season is the seventh season for Sean McDermott as Bills head coach. He was Carolina Panthers defensive coordinator for the 2011 through 2016 seasons, which were the first six seasons of Commander's head coach, Ron Rivera's tenure as Panthers head coach. Uh, The Bills have won at least 10 games in each of the last four regular seasons, uh, but the McDermott playoff record is four and five. What do you make of Sean McDermott as a head coach?
3: Well, (sighs) You know, he did turn around the the program here. They had what they have got they had got years and years and years without sustained success. And when Brandon Bean identified Josh Allen in 2018, knew they were gonna take a step back from the 2017 playoff season. Um, and that that has obviously worked out. I I agreed with Sean's move during the offseason to take over the defensive play calling. That's how he got this job, that's his area of expertise. He feels confident that Ken Dorsey can run the offense, so um, you know we'll we'll see as the season develops what kind of different things he's going to call defensively with that compared to Leslie Frazier. But most of the same personnel as last year, but a new play caller. So it uh, he coaches his hundredth game this week uh, as, as the Bills' uh, big whistle. So they uh, yeah he's in good shape with his security and and the the, the ownership group uh, likes him.
1: The Bills' general manager is another guy with ties to Ron Rivera, Brandon Bean. Uh, He worked for the Panthers from 1998 to 2017. He joined the Panthers in their communications department in 1998, rose to assistant general manager in June 2015. It's funny, Washington and Ron and former Panthers general manager and current commanders executive vice president of football slash player personnel, Marty Herney, got the like older guard of Panthers executives slash coaches and the Bills and Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott got the younger guard. Uh, Has the Bean-McDermott regime been successful for the Bills? Um, I think so. It's tough to argue
3: uh, the results, uh, but they, there should be urgency around here because they have come up short in the playoffs. Uh, you know, they, they made, they, they've gone, they've regressed the last three years. They, they went from losing the AFC title game to losing a second game, second round game on the road to losing a second round game at home. That means you've gone backwards in the postseason. So this team, win or lose, after this year is going to have to reset their salary cap. They've splurged on some free agents because, they're, because they're, they had a quarterback on a rookie deal for a couple of years. But the, uh, the bill is going to come due after this season, no matter what. So you might as well pay that bill with a Super Bowl title or a Super Bowl appearance.
1: Great stuff. Bill's insider, Ryan O'Halloran of the Buffalo News. Ryan, great to catch up. Thank you and all the best to you. All right, I'll take care now. Thank you. All right, hey, Commander's bills may be sold out, but if you are wanting to go to another Commander's game this season, download the Game Time app and use the promo code AlGaldy. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the Game Time. Game Time offers great deals on last minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price, and if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time Will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about Game Time is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on Game Time looking at tickets for Commander's games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Game Time is the app. For last-minute ticket deals, you don't have to plan months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. GameTime also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with GameTime, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use this promo code. Al Galdi. You use that promo code Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code Al Galdi for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. <laughs> download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I will be discussing the American League leading Orioles in moments. But if you're looking for a good outlet to play fantasy sports, check out Underdog Fantasy. Uh, I am proud to be partnering with Underdog Fantasy. Uh, I, for this season, am making fantasy football picks for Commander's Games in terms of Underdog Fantasy's higher-lower totals. Uh, Underdog Fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Uh, Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. And when it comes to season-long fantasy, underdog fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, underdog fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and the potential to win money. And Underdog Fantasy is offering something special for listeners of this podcast. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free. Free money. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI All right, the Orioles, uh, they now, off a four-game losing streak, have won four consecutive games. Uh, Tuesday night, a 9-5 win at the American League West leading Houston Astros in Game 2 of a three-game series, moving the O's to within one of their highest win total for a regular season since 2014. And yes, having the O's again, Joe Angel in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column! That's right, Joe. The win column. Uh, The O's now for this 2023 regular season up to being 95 and 56. Uh, The O's in their 2014 American League East winning regular season went 96 and 66. Uh, The Tampa Bay Rays did win. They on Tuesday evening beat the Los Angeles Angels 6-2. So the O's remain two and a half games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. There has been some confusion with the Orioles' elimination number, their magic number. MLB.com has that number as down to nine, but the O's do have the tiebreaker with the Rays, so... The magic number really can be viewed as eight. Uh, Thanks to my friend Tom for pointing this out on Twitter. I guess MLB.com looks at the elimination number as what is the official combination of Orioles' wins and Rays' losses that'll give the O's the American League East title outright. But again, the O's have the tiebreaker, so they don't have to win the division outright in order to win the division. Uh, The O's so far in this three-game series at the Astros are pounding Astros pitching. Uh, The 8-7 win on Monday night, the O scored 8 runs, totaled 16 hits, worked 2 walks, went 4-for-11 with runners in scoring position. The 16 hits were comprised of a home run, a triple, 3 doubles, and 11 singles. This 9-5 win on Tuesday night, the O scored 9 runs, totaled 10 hits, worked 3 walks, and went 4-for-9 with runners in scoring position. The 10 hits were comprised of 4 home runs, a double, and 5 singles. Austin Hayes. Hazy, <laughs> as O's manager Brandon Hyde likes to say. uh, Hazy on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting left fielder at number four batter went two for five with two home runs, a three-run homer and a solo homer. Uh, He in an Orioles three-run third had a one-out three-run homer to left field for a 5-2 Orioles lead. And Hayes in an Orioles two-run seventh had a one-out solo homer on a 1-2 pitch. For an 8 5 Orioles lead, that homer went a projected 422 feet per stat cast. Austin Hayes has had an up and down season offensively, but you know, he for this regular season is number three among all qualified Orioles players in OPS at 792. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn, another good game for this guy. He on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting first baseman and number three batter went two for five with a two-run homer and a single. O'Hearn in an Orioles a two-run first, a one-out, full count, two-run, opposite field home run to left center field for a 2 nothing Orioles lead. The homer winner projected 400 feet. For StatCast. So, your updated stats for Ryan O'Hearn for this regular season 331 plate appearances, OPS of 858. And keep in mind how the O's got this guy. They, this past January 3rd, acquired him via trade with the Kansas City Royals for cash. I mean, what a pickup. And what's also interesting is this. The O's on January 5th actually designated O'Hearn for assignment, then had him with AAA Norfolk, then had him as a non-roster invitee to spring training, and he has ended up being one of the Orioles' best hitters this season. Uh, Also, Heston Kerstad, he on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting DH and number six batter went one for four with a solo homer. He and the Orioles two run seventh at a two out opposite field solo homer to left field for a 9-5 Orioles lead. In terms of Orioles pitching on Tuesday night, so things are getting rather interesting uh, with what would seem to be a three-way battle for the number four spot in the Orioles postseason rotation, the first three spots would seem to be clear. Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez and Dean Kramer vying for the number four spot would seem to be John Means, Kyle Gibson and Jack Flaherty. Uh, Gibson was the Orioles starting pitcher for this 9-5 win at the Astros on Tuesday night, but Flaherty pitched as well. Uh, So Gibson was not good. He allowed three runs in four and two thirds innings. He gave up five hits, two home runs, two doubles, and a single. He issued two walks and a wild pitch. Did record five strikeouts. He threw 83 pitches, 49 strikes versus 34 balls. But Kyle Gibson for this regular season, 31 starts and ERA of five. However, Jack Flaherty on Tuesday night, was used as a reliever. Now, this is not being framed as him having been demoted to the bullpen. Uh, the O's on Tuesday night with a super taxed bullpen... Had Flaherty working out of the bullpen? But let's be honest, another reason for Flaherty working out of the bullpen on Tuesday night was that he has been really bad, okay? He has been a major disappointment as an MLB trade deadline acquisition of the O's. Uh, In this game on Tuesday night, five Orioles relievers combined to allow two runs, one earned in 4 and the 3rd innings. Flaherty was good. He tossed two scoreless innings. Uh, This was Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Tuesday night on Flaherty. For me, Jack Flirty, you know, won us the game in a lot of ways. Being able to cover two innings like that, almost, you know, tried to get
2: the third one out of him there. But, um, uh, you know, we were struggling a little bit in the pen. And for him to kind of come in and put two zeros up against a really good good offense, that, that was huge for us.
1: Yeah, but things are getting interesting in this uh, three-way battle between John Means, Kyle Gibson, and Jack Flaherty. Right now, I would go with Means as the Orioles' number four starter for the postseason, but let's see how things go uh, over the remainder of the Orioles' regular season. Game three for the O's at the Astros Wednesday afternoon at two ten. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Well, there have not been many wins for the Nationals lately, but there was a win on Tuesday night, a 4-3 win over the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park in Game 2 of a three-game series, just the Nats' sixth win over the team's last 22 games, but a win.
4: I'm proud of your voice.
1: Yes, sir. Nats manager Davey Martinez and the boys. Uh, They for this 2023 regular season now are 67 and 85. By the way, regarding the Nats mere six wins over the team's last 22 games, five of the six wins have been one run wins. Uh, Very good to see the Nats' starting pitcher on Tuesday night, Jackson Rutledge, pitch well. So the Nats last Wednesday afternoon, September 13th, announced that they had recalled Rutledge from AAA Rochester. Uh, He, in a 7-6 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates that evening, Made his Major League regular season debut, and it did not go well. He allowed seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. But Rutledge, in this 4-3 win of the White Sox on Tuesday night, did pitch well. He allowed two runs in six and third innings. He gave up six hits, two solo homers, a double, and three singles. He issued one walk. Uh, Did record just two strikeouts, but he threw a lot of strikes, 78 pitches, 53 strikes versus just 25 balls. He worked quickly and he had an average foreseen fastball velocity of 95.4 miles per hour per stat cast. Uh, this was davy Martinez during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on Jackson Rutledge. Rutledge.
4: Yeah, what do you like
0: about
4: Very good. He uh, one, he was a lot calmer. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, he attacked the strike zone. I mean, he really did. I mean, a good fastball today. Um, threw the ball well. You know, uh, located some balls. You know, that were good. And, uh, but I love the fact that he he went out there and attacked the strike zone. He, the pitch count was really low.
0: Uh, I know in the minors he hadn't really been going deep in games that much. Yeah. Was it a tough call to put uh, back up for the
4: second? Uh, you know, he has 74 pitches, I wanted, I wanted to see what he can do, you know, just give him a couple, had a couple guys warming up just in case, but, um, but I thought he threw the ball really well. And he, I talked, we talked to him, he said he felt great. So, um, but you know, he, I'm proud of him, yeah, out there, you know, he bounced back, um, kept his heartbeat down and uh, pitched, pitched really, really well. Don't Man, don't, don't, that team, yeah, they get hit. Um, so it was good, it was nice. What allowed
0: him to work so quickly, do you think?
4: I think he's, he had a good tempo, good rhythm. Um, I think it, once he got through that first inning, I think he, he really knew that hey, I, all I got to do is throw strikes and make things a lot easier for him. When he pumped strikes, and he, was, he settled down throughout the game. And um, like I said, he was just really good.
3: It is a new start for him, but I can't imagine it's totally easy to flush that first outing. So how impressive is it that he was able to and kind of move on from that and just kind
4: of? It was good. Them? I mean, we like we, har- we harped on it. For five, six days now, about hey, just let's hey, forget about that one, you know. Um, let's get let's get to, let's get to the next one and and move on from that, you know. Learn from your mistakes and and like the biggest thing we, we told him, hey, you got to slow yourself down a little bit and stay in the moment. You know, don't get don't get ahead of yourself, and um, and he did that tonight.
1: Yes, he did. Uh, Jackson Rutledge, per MLB pipeline, is the Nats' number 13 prospect. They took him with the number 17 overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of San Jacinto College, a public community college in Texas. Him working out for the Nats matters a lot. Would love to see him be a part of the Nats' 2024 regular season opening rotation, uh, if in fact uh, that lines up with what is in the best interest of the Nats from a service time perspective. Uh, but you would think that him pitching well down the stretch of this season would make him being in the Nats 2024 regular season opening rotation more likely. Now, speaking of the Nats 2024 regular season opening rotation, uh, we on Tuesday afternoon got an update on a guy who was supposed to be a part of the Nats 2023 regular season opening rotation, Cade Cavalli. Uh, Kate Cavalli has been on the 60-day injured list for the entirety of this regular season due to Tommy John surgery that he underwent in March. He on Tuesday, played catch for the first time since the Tommy John surgery, told reporters that, quote, sometime in June, end quote, is a target for his major league return. The Nats took Cade Cavalli with the number 22 overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. So Jackson Rutledge, the Nats' first round pick in 2019. Cade Cavalli, the Nats' first round pick in 2020. Uh, Two major pieces in the Nats' rebuild to be thinking about for the 2024 season, and uh, each guy factoring in prominently uh, to your Nationals Tuesday. But back to this 4-3 win over the White Sox on Tuesday night. The Nats in this game got two key pinch hits, including a big pinch hit home run. Uh, the Nats for the game scored four runs, totaled seven hits, worked two walks, went just one for 10 with runners in scoring position, but two of the hits were pinch hits. The Nats in a three-run seventh from Carter Keyboom got a pinch one-out single to center field on a 1-2 pitch, and from Joey Manessis got a pinch two-out Three-run home run to left field for a 4-2 Nats lead. This was just the Nats' second pinch-hit home run in this regular season. Uh, the other was by Michael Chavis. But great job, Joey Manessis, uh, who for this regular season is number one on the Nats in RBI with 84. The Nats in this game also had two triples and a double. So, four of the Nats' seven hits were extra base hits. CJ Abrams, he is a Nats starting shortstop and number one batter, went one for three with a triple and a walk. Uh, Abrams in the bottom of the first had a leadoff first pitch triple to deep center field. Although the Nats did not score in the inning, uh, and Abrams in the bottom of the seventh drew a two-out walk despite having been down in the count at 1.02. And Jacob Young, he is an ad starting center fielder and number nine batter, went two for three with a triple and a double. Young in an ads one-run six had a leadoff triple to the left center field gap on a one-two pitch, and Young in the bottom of the seventh had a two-out opposite field double to the right center field gap. Uh, Jacob Young is one of multiple Nats who have been called up from AAA Rochester in recent weeks. The Nats on August 26 announced that they had selected the contract of Young from AAA Rochester. His speed and defense have really stood out. The Nats took Young in the seventh round of the 2021 MLB draft out of the University of Florida. And while we're talking Young Nats outfielders and A Rochester, uh, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon announced having recalled outfielder Blake Rutherford from AAA Rochester. Uh, this is the corresponding roster move to placing outfielder Travis Blankenhorn of the 10-day injured list retroactive to Saturday with plantar fasciitis. Uh, Rutherford in this uh, 4-3 win over the White Sox on Tuesday night was the Nats' starting left fielder and number eight batter. He went 0 for 2. A negative for the Nats in this 4-3 win over the White Sox on Tuesday night was the Nats' closer, Kyle Finnegan. Uh, He is not pitching well. Three Nats relievers in this game combined to allow one run in two and two-thirds innings. Robert Garcia, in the top of the seventh, faced two batters and got two outs. Hunter Harvey tossed a perfect top of the eighth. But Kyle Finnegan, in the top of the ninth, allowed a run. Uh, now, he did get the save, uh, but he gave up a leadoff double by Luis Robert Jr. off the left center field warning track, gave up a one-out RBI single by Juan Moncada up the middle on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats' lead to 4-3 and issued a two-out, five-pitch walk of Trace Thompson. Uh, Kyle Finnegan had been rolling, but he now has allowed at least one earned run in eight of his last 13 appearances. He, in this month of September, has allowed eight earned runs in seven and two thirds innings. Game three for the Nats against the White Sox Wednesday afternoon at 105. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode six hundred and sixty-one. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders with them on Wednesday beginning their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game against the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field at 1. Also on Thursday's show, we'll talk Orioles and Nationals. The O's on Wednesday afternoon at 2.10 have Game 3 of a three-game series at the American League West leading Houston Astros. The Nats on Wednesday afternoon at one oh five have Game 3 of a three-game series against the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and we'll talk to you on Thursday.
2: Strategery